Here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to take just a couple moments. And I touched on Sunday, really one of the keys and one of the secrets that I think is lost in the Christian life is exactly the thing that Elizabeth was talking about, and that is a commitment to pray. And the commitment to ask God to move. And to ask God to change us and change the people around us. I think, um, for the most part, we, we do a, a great job in, in a lot of our churches teaching and, and preaching the Word of God. And, and I know that in this church, Monday nights are a time where you gather for prayer. I want to I wanna just applaud you for that, encourage you for that, encourage you to keep going. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to give you a couple of quick thoughts. When we think about how in the world do we pray for each other, how in the world do we pray? How, how do we do it? I think sometimes we miss an awful lot of prayer in Scripture that has already been given to us. And I think that God's given us His Word as, as a model. And tonight I want to challenge you to take a look at some verses and maybe even come back to these on a regular basis and pray them for yourself. Pray them for your wife or your husband. Pray them for your children. Pray them for your friends. And to say, you know what, God, this is what I want. When I pray, this is what I want. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 15 down to 20. Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul's praying right here to the Ephesians and saying, You know what? Now that you have come to Christ, Now that you're in the process of walking with God, I want to pray even more. That you would know Him more. Oh, we spend hours and we need to continue to spend hours praying for people to come to Christ. But I believe that the Apostle Paul challenging the Ephesians and challenging us that we need to spend just as many hours praying for each other. That we would know God more. And that we would know Him better. Look at the prayer that he says right here. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. That prayer right there, I want to challenge you in the, in the hours and the days and the weeks to come to think about those verses and to pray them on a regular basis for each other. To say, you know what, when I want to pray, this is what I want to pray. I want to pray that you would know Him more. He says four things in here that I want, I want to challenge you to think about. The first one he says is he says, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, we've been talking over the last couple of days that we are not the, the, the body that you see. No, we're made up of soul and spirit and our heart. And you take a look at Scripture and you just thumb through your concordance and you see over and over and over and over again how many times we're challenged to think about our heart, to pay attention to it, for out of it flow. It flows our life. flows everything about us. That, that we're, we're called to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're, we're called to give our hearts to Jesus. And, and, and yet I, I want to challenge us as Christians to think about 
that I can give my heart to Christ and it can be His. But I think the eyes of my heart to really know Him still need to grow and grow deeper in that relationship. Job 42, Job said this, after God had confronted him and after God had been hammering away at Job and finally that moment came in Job's life where he understood and in Job 42, 5, he said, before I heard you, but now I see you. Now I see you. He was talking about his heart. God, now I understand you. Before I knew about you and I was even in relationship with you, but this encounter with you has caused me to understand you even more. Even more. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, The same God that caused the light of creation to shine into darkness has caused His light to shine into our hearts. And His light shining into our hearts gives us more and more illumination and understanding. I'm not talking about a, a second blessing or something that comes along. I'm talking about deeper knowledge and understanding of our walk with God. That's what I'm talking about. It's taking a light and shining it into a room and saying, you know what, part of the room has been illuminated. Lord, illuminate all of my heart, all of my thoughts, all of me. Illuminate it. The eyes of my heart. I need people to pray that for me. You need people to pray that for you. The youth pastor that I had when I was in high school used to always challenge us and use the acronym ALIVE. A-L-I-V-E. And he said, you know what, I want you guys to be alive. And for us as high school kids, we said, yeah, we do too. And he said, no, but stop and write it out. And he would tell us to write it out. And it stood for this, always living in view of eternity. I've shared that before here. Always live in view of eternity. That's what the writer's talking about. Lord, give my heart the ability to think about eternity. To think about down the road. To think about all time. You and I were created for eternity. And we need to understand that you and I will live somewhere for eternity. We will live in eternity with God or eternity away from God. We are not just on this earth for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. No, we are eternal creatures. And the people that you live next to and work with and drive by and see, they are as well. And if we could grasp that concept that the people around us, my friends, my neighbors, my family, they are eternal beings. And so he used to challenge us to live in view of eternity. I think that's what Paul was writing to the Ephesians. You know what? Lord, give me vision to see eternity. Open the eyes of my heart. A young man named Frank walked into my office this last year, working at the international school, and, and he walked in, and, and we kind of do youth ministry on this particular campus, and he was getting ready to start his senior year. And Frank walked in, and he sat down on the couch, and he's, it's not uncommon. A lot of kids come and go out of our office. And we greeted him, Frank, what's going on? How are you? And he sat there for a while and chit-chatted, and finally people left, and it was just he and I and one other guy in the office. And he said, you know what, i got to ask you a question. I, I came to this school a, a couple of years ago. His parents worked in, in an oil company. And he said, when I came to this school, I made a commitment to myself that I would find out about Jesus. And he said, I still haven't found out about him. And I know that I'm going to graduate this year. And so would you help me find out about Jesus? And I said, you bet I would. And so Frank and I started meeting together. 
Uh, every Monday afternoon, we'd meet together after school, and we would sit, and I, and I just said, we're just going to work our way through the book of John. And I want you to take a look at God's Word and some Scripture, and, and I'll answer any question you have, and we're just going to begin to start studying together. And so I'm going to ask you that if you want to come, and, and you'll read the verses, and you'll think about it during the week, and I'll give you some questions, and we'll just talk about it. And he said, I'll do that. And so we started to, he started to come. And we met for months and months and months, and, and, and for Frank, I knew that a lot of this was an intellectual experience for him. The eyes of his heart were not enlightened. He had lots of questions, and, and I would ask him things, and he would just say, well, I don't know. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why Nicodemus would come at nighttime. I, I, I don't know why people, you know, some saw him and some didn't. And, and he would do his homework, but he didn't get it. Finally, this last year in March... It had been a couple weeks where he was out of town, and, and, and then he called me and, and said, you know what, I, we need to get together. We haven't been together in a couple weeks, and i got to tell you something. And I said, okay. And we went out to dinner together and sat down, and he said, you know, ever since I started reading the Bible, my life has just it's really gotten bad. <laughs> and he said, you know what, these friends that I had that I used to go and party with and stuff, they, you know, I, I just can't go with them anymore, and they don't... You know, they don't hang out with me anymore. And you know that girl I was dating? I said, yeah. And he said, you know, she won't talk to me anymore. And he said, you know what? I, I just, you know, my parents, we, we haven't been getting along. And, and, and you know what he said? Everything has been going bad. And he said, in fact, you know what? Over the last couple of weeks, it's been so bad that I get home after school and I don't have a whole lot to do. And so I've been reading the Bible every single day. And I, I said, Really? And he said, yeah, in fact, you know, just that little vacation we had, we went to the Galapagos Islands with my parents. And I said, yeah, that's an amazing vacation. He said, I didn't enjoy that vacation. He said, you know, my parents are out doing all sorts of stuff. I'm reading the Bible. And I said, well, Frank, what what have you been reading? What have you been reading? And man, he just started telling me passage after passage after passage. But you know what? The conversation was different. It wasn't intellectual anymore. It was heart stuff. And he said, you, you know that, that passage that really got to me. He said it was, it was about the testimony of Jesus. He said, you, you know that one, right? And I bluffed. I said, oh, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> and I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, you know that passage where Jesus asked him, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? He said, you know what, Phil? That's me. You know what's taking place in Frank's life? The eyes of his heart were being opened. They were being enlightened. I said, well, Frank, what what do you want to do about it? He said, "I, I think I just need to humble my heart and ask Jesus to be my Savior. And I said, well, let's do that. And he looked around and he said, here? I said, why not? God's here. It's just you, me, God, and that waiter right there. Let's do it. And so he bowed his head and he prayed and invited Jesus in. You know what? We need to continue to pray that prayer for each other. I I think about Frank and I pray for him as this year he's off to college. God, continue to open the eyes of his heart. That he would know you more and more. Not just as his Savior, but as his Lord, as his Master, 
as his redeemer. Lord, open the eyes of his heart. We need to pray that for each other. Second, Paul says this. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called. We have been called to such a hope in such a hopeless society. You know, we have such an incredible hope in Jesus. And the people around us all over the place, everything is so hopeless. You open the newspaper, you jump on the news. And man, there's more crime than ever. There's more drugs than ever. There's more killings than ever. It crosses every single aspect of life. And it's easy to throw up our hands and to say, you know what, this is hopeless. How can we make any difference? And for that reason, I think Paul says, you know what, I pray that you may know the hope to which God has called you. Romans 8.25 says all creation is groaning. Man, that's not biblical times. That's today, isn't it? All creation is groaning, longing for the day when Jesus will come. And so the writer of Romans 8 says we wait patiently, not as people who don't have hope, but as people who are filled with hope. Do you live with hope? Not hope that I hope something's going to happen. I hope that I can retire someday. Someday. But hope that says, you know what, I know Jesus. And Lord, give me that hope. Give me that sense every day as I walk through a hopeless society that I know Christ. And I know the hope that He has. Know the hope to which He's called us. The third thing He says is, I pray. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Riches. We serve the God of all riches. In our day today, we we know all about our portfolio. And and someone asks you or, or someone thinks about it or we're challenged to think about our portfolio all the time, aren't we? How is your portfolio? Oh, you know, it's strong to sort of strong. To sort of weak. To sort of non-existent. Right? But we think about, we think about our portfolio and there's nothing wrong with thinking about that. You know what, God, if God has, has entrusted you with material wealth, you need to do the best you can to be a good steward of that. But we think a lot about riches here on earth. How much do we think about riches in heaven? How much do we know that we serve a God of all riches? He's given us His Word, His Spirit, His Son. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Great verses. Because we understand we serve God of all riches. Because we understand that He's given that to us. Here's what He says. In Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. God, give me a heart that longs to store up treasure in heaven. Whether you've given me treasure here on earth or not, that's not important. Lord, I want to store up treasure in heaven. We know that there are only two things that last forever. There's only two. God's Word and people, that is it. And so what does treasure in heaven look like? 
Well, what will cause God to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant? That we knew his word, that we walked with him, and we impacted people around us. Storing up treasure in heaven means, you know what, I want to see people in heaven. I want people to know Christ because of our lives. God, give me a heart that understands that you've called me with all the riches, the glorious inheritance of the saints. He's preparing a place for us, isn't he? John 14, 2. My house, my father's house are many mansions. If you know Jesus, one of those mansions has your name on it. One of the great things about heaven someday, even as Elizabeth shared, we'll all be hanging out together. As the team sang tonight, talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a cool thing. Tell me about the fire. What was that like? (laughs) Moses, tell me about what it was like. Abraham, tell me what it was like. And then having them look back at you and say, tell me what your life was like. Tell me how God used you. Storing up inheritance in heaven. Last part of the prayer. As he says, his incomparable great power for us who believe. I think God wants us to live with power. Not with weakness. With power. And he says right there, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That idea blows your mind. That power that God used to bring Christ back from the dead is available in your life. And yet, how many times as Christians do we walk around with our tail between our legs saying, well, just kind of weak. Just can't do it. And God says, my power is available to forgive your sins. My power is available to free you. To give you freedom from those temptations. My power is available for you to be bold in your witness. My power is available for you to walk in holiness. My power is available for you to stand as a united church. When the enemy wants to come into this place and destroy it, God's power is available. It's available. So many times we're commanded, as Joshua said in Joshua 1, be strong and very courageous. Be strong. Be strong and very courageous. Paul said it to Timothy. You, my son, be strong in Jesus Christ. That power, that's not about us just gutting it through. It's not about us trying harder. It's about praying for each other. God, make my brother strong. Make my sister strong. Give them that power that's available. I want to challenge you as a church to be in prayer for each other. As you meet on Mondays, as as you're a part on those other days. Because sometimes the church is together, it's the church gathered, isn't it? And sometimes the church is scattered. And you're at your different places of work or, or business or school, you're still the church. And how much more during those times we need to be praying for each other. And so I challenge you to come back to this passage and chew on it. And to specifically pray these things. Lord, I want to pray for my brother, my sister, that their heart would be enlightened. I want to pray that they would know your hope. I want to pray that that they would understand how rich they are. The inheritance that's theirs. And store up in heaven.
I want to challenge you to pray about power. One of the fun things my wife and I love to do is look into lighthouses. Enjoy lighthouses. Well, we, we have calendars and postcards and posters and, and we visit a handful of them. And I, I love the concept of a lighthouse. Sometimes in our day and age today, you know, we've gone so technological that we don't think about lighthouses too much. But, but they're still in use and they're still being used. And you know, a lighthouse's job is to protect and to warn. Man, it stands right there on the shore, doesn't it? Sometimes on a dangerous spot to protect and to warn the ships that are out. That lighthouse's job is to be diligent and strong. You see them as towers and you read about the foundations that go down into the rock because in the middle of the fiercest storm, they've got to stand. They can't afford to break down. They need to protect and warn. They need to be diligent and strong. But most of all, they need to rescue those that are in trouble. Rescue those that are in trouble. One of the greatest things I love about lighthouses, I think it so much reflects what the church's job is to do. This church's job is to be a lighthouse for this community, this state, and this world. And I want to challenge you, as you encounter God, as you mature, and as you pray for each other, that you would always live in view of eternity, that this place would be a great lighthouse. A strong place filled with the love of Jesus and always welcoming people. Thank you for the privilege we have had to be here for a couple days with you and know that even though our bodies won't be here, our hearts will and our prayers will. Let me pray. And Lord, I do just thank you so much for this body of believers, these brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I just join Paul and pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to what you have called them, the riches of your glorious inheritance and your incomparable great power for every one of them who believe. Lord, use this place as an incredible lighthouse as you have been doing and will continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for hanging in there tonight.